Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. France attack proves lockdowns don't protect from terrorism. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, maybe you heard something about the recent attack in France. Um, probably not a lot because the news these days is uh, pretty much 24-7 coronavirus. But um, I'm going to tell you about it uh, and the importance of it. I mean, you know, of course, it's horrible. Um, a lone wolf, Abdallah A.O., a 33-year-old Sudanese uh, refugee, attacked the southern, a, southern, a city in southern France, um, killing two and injuring at least seven. And I'll tell you all about it. But first, um, let me tell you about something that I have mentioned before, but it is becoming more evident um, the more terrorist attacks there are, despite the fact that we, the world, is suffering from coronavirus and COVID-19. Um, and that is that um, terrorist groups are boasting that uh, the pandemic is punishment on the West by Allah. It is uh, brought to us by Allah. In fact, they call coronavirus a soldier of Allah. And what's interesting is that um, ISIS and Al-Qaeda are coming together. They have at least one thing that they agree on, and that is uh, that coronavirus is being sent by Allah to destroy the West. Uh, the God's retribution on Western nations, their God. Um, and here, they also say there was a statement that put out, Al-Qaeda put out a statement that said, Allah the Creator has revealed the brittleness and vulnerability of your material strength. It is now clear for all to see that it was but a deception that could not stand the test of the smallest soldier of God on the face of the earth referring to the little coronavirus. Um, they, it, they continued to make the point, Al-Qaeda did, that uh, coronavirus has all but halted the American economy. There are at least, there are over 6 million uh, more Americans who filed for unemployment um, than the week before. And, um, and they are making the point that uh, COVID-19 has killed more Americans than the 9-11 attacks. And the point that they are making with that is that the U.S. can be weakened. So in other words, 
our suffering from coronavirus is giving hope to terrorists, to both Al-Qaeda and ISIS terrorists. Um, and ISIS stated, made a statement that said, it is falsehood to worship America and to fear it instead of Allah the Almighty. And of course, um, they are calling on followers to attack. Uh, and in fact, the NYPD has issued bulletins reminding officers to stay cautious. Now, the significant difference between um, coronavirus and, uh, and terrorism, one of the significant differences is that we will eventually overcome the coronavirus. We will eventually have a vaccine. There are already medications that are proving to help uh, and cure some people with coronavirus. I mean, you know, it's, you have to kind of look for those um, reports. Um, everybody's, uh, not everybody, but the, some of the people um, on the presidential team are hesitant to actually endorse using some of these other medications. But in any case, there will be a vaccine and there are these medications that are coming into more prominence, getting more widely known as being effective against coronavirus. So although uh, coronavirus is tragically uh, making many people ill and um, a, a smaller number of people um, are dying, still it will end at some point. I mean, it may come back in smaller and a lesser or weakened way because we'll have had the vaccines and the medications by then, but it will end at some point. I mean, we, the, the um, great terror of coronavirus will end at some point, whereas the terror of terrorists is not going to end after coronavirus. I know sometimes, I'm sure for some of you, and, and um, it's, hard enough to, <laughs> it's hard enough to get your head around coronavirus, no less to now have to worry about terrorism too. And I'm not really, I don't really want you to worry, but I don't want you to forget that terrorism does exist and, um, and will still exist after coronavirus has been conquered. So I'm going to be telling you the story today, and this is an example <laughs> Of, um, of how terrorism is continuing despite our lockdowns. And in a prior uh, podcast, I talked about a terrorist in the US uh, who had been planning a terror attack and decided to hurry up to, um, you know, he accelerated his plans to attack uh, because the coronavirus was was, uh, you know, increasing. And I guess he thought he was running out of time, not that he had the coronavirus himself, but, and so if you heard that, I talked about how he had decided to uh, perpetrate the attack. And uh, he chose because there aren't really crowds in many places these days, because many places are on, lo are on lockdowns. Uh, he chose a hospital that had, that was treating uh, coronavirus patients because yes indeed that hospital was very crowded now fortunately in case you're thinking well I never heard about that that's because fortunately 
um, the CIA or FBI or count some counterterrorism. I don't remember right now which one it was, but a counterterrorism organization uh, stopped him. Had, oh, I think it was the FBI. They were following him. They had be, been following him. And so they, uh, they had him come to pick up a bomb that he was going to use in this attack, and they were waiting for him. And they caught him and arrested him, and um, he is now in jail. Okay, so now we turn to France. Um, in France, there was recently an attack in a city called Romain-sur-Isère, which is a riverside town, a lovely, beautiful town in the south of France with 35,000 as the population, a very quiet, bucolic French. If you've been to the south of France, you know how beautiful and wonderful that place is. I have been there many times, um, and I lived in, in Paris for three years. Um, so... So I am particularly partial to France and, and my heart breaks even more when I hear about um, attacks there than in places that I haven't lived. <laughs> I mean, of course, the number one place is New York, as many of you know, um, that is where I was born and bred and that is why I became the terrorist therapist when 9-11 happened. But anyhow, France also has a special place in my heart. And this lone terrorist, Abdallah A.O., uh, 33 years old, uh, who came from Sudan, as I was saying, he, he, he perpetrated a knife attack and he killed two people and injured at least seven people. And France was in its third week of lockdown at the time. So um, there weren't many, many people in the street. I mean, it was a small town anyway, and there weren't many people in the street, but there were some stores that were allowed to be open, such as uh, a bakery, stores that sell uh, food, including a butcher shop, and a tobacco shop. And um, that, that is where, you know, it's like... Uh, that's where this terrorist went to, um, to attack. So, you know, just because we're on lockdown, just because um, there aren't many crowds, doesn't mean that terrorists are gonna be stopping there in their tracks. So, um, so he, uh, and of course this, the, the way that he perpetrated the attack, the, uh, the nature of the attack is very similar to other attacks that have occurred in France and in other places too. You know, knife, knife attacks became uh, popular. So, um, and in other, now of course, some, uh, some media outlets are being coy about calling it a terror attack, but it is pretty, as you will hear from the details, it is pretty certain. Um, he shouted, Allahu Akbar, that's a little clue. Uh, Arabic for God is great or God is the greatest. And he, he shouted that before he began lashing out with his knife. Now, the question um, that one might ask about all of this is, um, was he following terrorist propaganda, these, these um, the, the propaganda that has been coming out actually since the beginning of, of uh, coronavirus, there has been, uh, and I think it's increasing, the, the propaganda has been coming out telling lone wolves to uh, 
commit attacks, be telling, uh, telling them that because we're in a very vulnerable state, because we're uh, paying more attention to coronavirus and forgetting about terrorism, and um, all our you know, first responders and, and the people who would, um, the government and people who would be uh, paying attention to a terror attack are now focused on coronavirus. So there have been, and if you've listened to some previous uh, podcasts, I, I, will, I talked about this um, before. But now, um, so with this man, did he listen to the propaganda? Was it the terrorist propaganda that made him um, go out and create this attack? Or um, was it something else? We'll talk more about this when we come back. Today, we're talking about France attack proves lockdowns don't protect from terrorism. Well, and I'm giving as, the, as an example of this today, in particular, I'm talking about the attack that just occurred in the south of France. Um, with the attacker being a Sudanese refugee named Abdallah, who killed two people, injured at least seven, in this beautiful bucolic town, small town, not that, not that it's good any place, not that any place there's a terrorist attack is good um, or, you know, is, is okay to, to attack there. But it's just that the, the way that the town looks compared to the violence of this terrorist, it's a very big contrast. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. So now just to um, repeat uh, a bit, uh, he, he was a... Um, he was 33 years old, and um, he. There are some differences in the reports in regard to um, when he got to France and so on. So I'll tell you the the different kind of the reports. And um, there's one report that says he arrived from Sudan a few months ago. There's another report that says. Um, that he obtained refugee status in 2017. Then um, another report said um, that he had been seeking asylum in France despite complaining about living in a country of non-believers. So there is probably some combination of that that is accurate. Um, in any case, they are saying that there definite to point out that he was not previously known to police uh, for any having committed any other crime. And um, when he got there, when the police got there, uh, the man screamed, kill me, kill me. But in fact, the officers were able to arrest him without harming him. Now, then they searched his home and again, proof that it was a terror attack. Uh, there were handwritten documents with what they're calling religious connotation. Everybody is so politically correct. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, religious connotation, including in which he complained in particular about living in a country of non-believers. So really, you know, what does that tell you? So, um, the, in fact, the Sudanese are one of the biggest groups seeking asylum in France. 
And this is because they are, many of them are uh, fleeing violence and extreme poverty in the Darfur region, and also, of course, political persecution. So, um, and France has not had a very uh, strong policy about keeping them out. And I think so many things we're gonna look back on and realize that things were a mistake. I mean, from allowing too many migrants into Europe, um, and they are taking over in all the countries of Western Europe, or many of the countries, most of the countries in Western Europe, um, the UK, of course, that was what Brexit was all about, and France, um, and Germany in particular, um, and, and Italy also, and Greece. I mean, it, um, you know, I think people meant well, the governments meant well, of these countries meant well uh, in terms of trying to help these refugees, but then uh, they didn't really recognize soon enough that, they, that, there, that these were people who were going to be dependent upon the economy. I mean, not only that many of these migrants have turned out to be terrorists, but um, which really <laughs> could have been foreseen um, and should have been, but also that they are an incredible drain on the economy because um, they don't have, not only, it's one thing to not have money or a means of providing for themselves when uh, they come to a country, but they are, they, the way that they then behave, which is to just take um, the social services of the country instead of uh, trying to work. And again, I, am, I don't mean to, um, I know I am generalizing, uh, but when the, when the immigrants came to Ellis Island uh, in New York, most of those immigrants back in the day then developed work, became entrepreneurs, uh, became workers, tailors, um, merchants, and so on. And the proportion, that was a much higher proportion. They really didn't come to, to depend upon the social service roles. They were eager to make their own life and make their own money in America. And that is not the case for the majority of migrants in Europe. In any case, um, getting back to the Sudanese coming into France, and, and it's not just Sudanese who are the migrants coming into France. But in any case, the, the migrants um, used to come to, to France, many of them came to France to ultimately go to the UK. But there was this refugee camp in Calais um, where the migrants stayed and um, be waiting to be able to cross the English Channel into the UK. But then um, the UK didn't want to take any more migrants. And this um, refugee camp in Calais, which was called the jungle because it was unbelievable uh, how primitive it was, how awful it was, and it was eventually closed. So getting back to our man um, in the south of France, getting back to this attack, Abdallah, he was found on his knees when the police came on the pavement praying in Arabic. And um, the mayor of the town said, anyone who had the misfortune to find themselves in his way were attacked. Now the attack happened in broad daylight. And of course the president, uh, Emmanuel Macron was, you know, 
horrified. I mean, horrified, shock, shock. Really? You should have thought about this years ago um, when you weren't more careful with immigration. Anyway, he called it an odious attack, an act odieux. Um, and now this was his, um, this was the trajectory of the terrorist. First, he went into a tobacco shop where he attacked the owner and his wife. He then um, stabbed someone in the bakery. Um, and then he discarded his original knife and went to the butcher's shop <laughs> to get a new knife. Very resourceful chap. Um, he seized a knife and he um, jumped over the counter and he stuck the butcher's knife into a victim's neck. Now, um, his, the butcher's wife tried to help the victim, and, but, it, but he died. And then the, the terrorist ran to the city center and seemed to be lashing out at random at anyone in his way. There are some reports that, that have the order a little different, or, um, and some say that he attacked people on the bakery line. So again, it's some combination of all of that. Um, so when the police came, he put his hands in the air and he asked to be shot. He asked, he shouted at the police to kill him. And um, now here, this is so interesting um, to try to figure out what was motivating him. I mean, was it just that he was following terrorist propaganda? Was he um, trying to be a martyr, you know, wanting to be killed, to be a martyr? Or was he crazy, um, mentally ill? pushed over the brink by um, the coronavirus. You know, I mean, that, uh, that I have been doing a lot of talking about uh, and some in previous podcasts, but um, I've been doing interviews on countless television, radio, and radio stations uh, and all kinds of print uh, articles trying to help people deal with the psychological fallout of the coronavirus. So of course, one of them, uh, some of the fallout involves depression and even suicidal ideation. So was this man, you know, was he trying to be a martyr or did he want to commit suicide because he was pushed over the edge because of the lockdown or because of fear of getting the coronavirus? Well, we'll talk more about this when we come back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about the attack in France and how it proves that lockdowns don't protect us from terrorism. In particular, uh, in France, it was into its third week when this terrorist in the south of France attacked. And um, a shocking number, um, so far in France, it has killed, the coronavirus has killed more than 6,500 people. 6,500 people in France. There aren't that many people in France. I mean, that's a huge percentage of the population compared to, you know, the numbers in the U.S., for example. Um, that, is, that is really, you know, so when you, when you compare the terrorists, this particular terrorist, Abdallah, um, his killing of two 
and injuring at least seven. Um, it doesn't seem like very much, but, but um, it is still significant because it is a terror attack. It's something perpetrated by a person rather than uh, just catching a virus. So um, uh, in France, this, the lockdown only permits, as I was saying before, essential shops to be open, like the shops that, of course, this terrorist attacked. Um, and there's a fine if you are caught in the street in France without, without valid documentation, whatever that means, um, you there's a first time fine of at least 120, uh, well, 120 pounds. This was in an English, <laughs> in a British article. So, um, hmm. <laughs> approximately, so that's approximately $120. All right, so now, um, just to remind you, France has had quite a history of terrorism dating back since early 2015, uh, history of terror attacks, of ISIS and Al-Qaeda terror attacks. And so far, there have been 258 people killed in France from terror attacks since then. There were, and these have been bomb attacks, gun attacks, knife attacks, and it's been both as ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And um, of course, as you probably will remember, the, the deadliest attack came in November 2015 when 130 people were killed in Paris. And that was by suicide bombers who pledged allegiance to ISIS. And you, as you'll remember, they attacked the Stade de France, uh, cafes, restaurants, and the Bataclan, you know, the concert at the Bataclan, where 90 died. Uh, and I, when I went to Paris um, in uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess it was, um, to claim my, <laughs> to claim my award, to receive my award um, from the Paris Book Festival for my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. I visited various places, donated my book to various places like the American Hospital in France and a school in France and, um, and the Bataclan. Um, where I also sold uh, books at the Bataclan. I mean, at, there was a cafe Bataclan. So I donated some books there and I sold and autographed some books there. And um, I went through, <laughs> I went through quite a, uh, it was quite a challenge to get tickets to, to um, go into the concert at the Bataclan. I was determined to do that. Um, because I wanted to feel what it felt like to be sitting in the Bodic Lawn when the terrorists attacked. I wanted to just feel that, to sit there and feel that so I would understand um, the terror, really. And even though there were no terrorists when I went, uh, there was still certainly, definitely a, a strange feeling. It was definitely a feeling that uh, wasn't there before the attacks. I mean, people were having fun and, and um, singing along and, and clapping and milling and, and you know, um, enjoying the concert. Uh, but, 
but there was a little edge and uh, and I didn't have a ticket <laughs> originally and so I went through a whole a whole um, all kinds of um, shenanigans <laughs> to to ultimately get ultimately get a ticket I talked about this in a previous if previous podcast if you uh, if you are interested um, because I want I want to continue with this right now uh, anyway earlier in 2015 there were two uh, Paris-born gunmen who were linked to Al-Qaeda who broke into the offices of Charlie Hebdo. Remember that? The magazine is a satirical magazine. And um, that left 17 people dead inside the office and three outside. And then in July 2016, there were 86 people who died and more than 400 injured when the truck, remember when the truck drove down into the crowds in on the promenade in Nice. So they have had uh, their share of um, terrorists. That one was a, the truck driver was a Tunisian immigrant and he was shot by police, shot dead by police. He, when police had seen him in the truck um, and there, was, there wasn't supposed to be any trucks or big vehicles parked where this truck was parked. But the truck driver said that he was there to sell ice cream because it was the fourth, it was uh, July for Bastille Day. And so, you know, there were lots of crowds, especially out for Bastille Day. And so the truck driver was believed when he said he was there to sell ice cream. I mean, you know, this is, this was, um, again, this was in 20, um, well, it was in 2016 when they should, you know, it was after the Bataclan and, and the, the, that attack. So they certainly should have been a little bit more suspicious, the police. Uh, also in that same month, the two ISIS terrorists murdered an 86-year-old Catholic priest during a church service in Normandy, France. And then of course, there have been lots of knife attacks on uh, the police and um, then in October of 2019, there was a radicalized computer operative who worked at the Paris Prefecture, the, uh, the, police, the police station, and he stabbed four of his colleagues to death. He was shot dead, and he turned out to be a Muslim convert who um, had extremist Al-Qaeda and Islamic State literature and images on his computer. Now, you know, I, I want to add that um, even though it isn't included in this description of the attacks, um, I have not changed my mind in terms of um, believing. And again, part of this is from not just from my expertise on terrorism, but um, from, as I said, living in Paris for three years, going back lots of times after that, um, going to Notre Dame. Uh, many times and so on. I have not changed my mind uh, that in believing that the Notre Dame attack was a terrorist attack, or that what I mean to say is the Notre Dame fire was a terrorist attack. And there is a podcast um, that I um, made uh, right around the time of the fire that talks all about it. I go into details as to why I believe that in fact that was a terrorist. Uh, and there has been nothing since then, by the way, 
to um, show that it wasn't a terror attack. They're just, <laughs> they're not saying that it was, you know, they, there's, and a lot of that is for, for political reasons, not just political correctness, but, um, you know, because there are so many immigrants in, I mean, it's in, in France. Um, and, you know, when I was there, when I lived there, there were, there was a, there was certainly a noticeable uh, population of immigrants. They would be typically mostly on the left bank, uh, selling different uh, statues, you know, carved statues, and they were mostly from Africa. And, um, and so there was a presence. It's not like, but now, and, you know, compared to the last time that I was there, I mean, now it's really huge. So, so there's this, you know, of course, if you start blaming things on terrorism, unless it's like super obvious that, that like somebody yelling Allahu Akbar, um, there's the risk of there being a kind of revolt. Um, so that's part of why people are, why the government or the authorities, as they like to say, um, you know, aren't making it clear. But the, the latest explanations about the Notre Dame fire is that uh, it was a like an errant um, cigarette that was dropped or an errant um, electrical uh, appliance or tool. And at the time, um, you know, those things that they are saying that it could be are things that certainly could have been done by terrorists. Anyhow, I'll refer you to my prior podcast for details about that. Now, um, just some numbers, just a few numbers. Uh, this year, there the a statistic, again, there are always these different numbers wherever you look, but anyway, a statistic is that there are 29,000, and this is up. I used to be earlier, like earlier in March when I was talking about this, I would talk about how 14,000, 16,000 people, Americans, have died from the flu so far. Now the estimate is up to 59,000. And again, do you hear anything about that in the news? How many people have died from the regular flu compared to coronavirus? No, uh, because it's more sensational to make the numbers seem worse for coronavirus. Now, there were 675,000 Americans who died of the Spanish flu in 1918 and 1919. I mean, that's a large number. Again, that sort of puts the current situation into some perspective that it isn't as bad as that. Now, granted, we're not finished, but still. Um, there were, there are, also to put it in perspective, there are 658,000 Americans who died in combat in all of the wars in U.S. history. Compare that to 10 million Americans who applied for jobless benefits in the past two weeks, the past two weeks from when I am recording this now. Um, now, Comparing this, last but not least, comparing this to the approximately 3,000 who died in 9-11, you know, the coronavirus seems like it's a much bigger killer. However, um, the, as I was saying earlier, the coronavirus is going to be vanquished and the terrorists are going to continue. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.
If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.